good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm sure you're as glad to be here as I am. I got to thinking while we were singing, how many years have I been here on Tuesday night for the opening of the lectures on Pepperdine's campus? And it's been over three and a half decades. And I know that because I compare how long I've been coming to how my body feels and what it takes for me to get here and how many steps I think I can climb this year. I remember when I first started coming, I could play basketball all night and just get up the next morning and go. And then I hit that stage where I could play basketball all night, but I'd wake up in the morning and I was sore. And then I hit that stage where I'd wake up in the morning and I was sore, and I didn't do anything last night. <laughs> and now I think, Mike, I'm in that stage where I'll wake up in the morning and I'll say, maybe my neck hurts. What happened? I don't know. I must have slept wrong. I can... I can hurt myself going to bed. This is the stage I'm in now. But I still make it to Pepperdine. I know many, how many steps we've got to climb because for over three and a half decades, this week has been an absolute blessing to me in my ministry. So thank you for letting me come again. So my youngest son loves to play basketball. And uh, he went to a small Christian school, a graduating class of 70 or 80. So his basketball team was about what you would expect. Some really hard, hustling, well-coached boys who just frankly didn't have a whole lot of talent. <laughs> and if they played schools about their size, they would play a good game. But it was in December of his senior year, and there is across town a very large public high school in our state called North Crowley that routinely competes for state championships with over 700 students in their graduating classes. They had a big special game with a high school team from Chicago that got canceled. At the last moment, their coach called our coach and said, would you guys like to come over and play us? And our coach, in a moment of total loss of sanity, said, that would be awesome. Our boys would love to play in a big stadium like this, packed with people. And so we are driving across town to play one of the best teams in the state of Texas, a team that has three boys who will get D1 college scholarships to play basketball, a team that second string could beat most of the high school teams in Texas. And as we're driving across town, I said to my wife, I just hope we don't lose by 50. And I meant it. And so we got to the place, their side of the court was just packed with thousands of people. Our side had about a hundred little folks. And I said to them, I just hope we don't lose by 50. So the game began and it went exactly as I would have expected. For the first quarter, we played them hard because we really did hustle and we were well coached. But over time, size and talent and depth just took over. We got behind by 10 points, and in the second quarter by 20 points, and then in the second half by 30 points, and by 40 points. And with less than a minute to go, we were behind by 52 points. My son was at the free throw line. He made both free throws. We're down 50. They go down, they shoot, they miss. Somehow we got the rebound. We rush back down the court. A boy shoots. It clangs off the rim all the way out to my son at the three-point line. He shoots. Buzzer goes off. Swish. We lost by 47, and everybody on our side of the court jumped up and started screaming. All the boys ran off the bench and started patting my son on the back. And those people in North Crowley were looking at us like, what is wrong with those people? 
You just got smashed, and you're acting like you're winning. Which, by the way, is how we read the story of the early church. It seems like they're getting slaughtered, and they keep celebrating, and they keep doing things that no one thinks can get done. Why? I mean, they've got no educational status. They've got no political clout. They've got no financial resources. But what they do have is the best gift ever. And I am so thankful to Mike and to this school for taking a week to say, let's just learn more about that gift, the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, I've been going to church conferences now for over 30 years, and this is the first one I've ever been to that focused on the Holy Spirit. It makes me remember, uh, remember my family. Most people on both sides of my family were not Christians growing up. We're from central Texas. And whenever we would go to the state park every July, and it would be so hot, and we would have a family reunion. Well, we've all got that crazy uncle, right? I have several. I, I mean, if they're not in jail, they're in a bar starting a fight. And we always felt guilty, like we've got to invite Uncle Leon, but we know if he shows up, something rowdy is going to happen. He's in the family, but it's really okay with us if he doesn't ever show up. And isn't that how we felt about the Holy Spirit growing up? I mean, he's family, but if he shows up, something rowdy is going to happen. So, I thought the best way for us to begin our week together... It's just to start with Jesus. Not with somebody's book about the Holy Spirit, not even with Paul or Peter, but with the person who knew the Holy Spirit better than anyone else. So in John 14 through 16, you remember the context. Because we all know what it's like, right, to get what we think is bad news that turns out to be Good news, like the other day, I ripped a hole in the knee of my favorite pair of jeans. That's bad news. Then I thought, good news, now I can be a worship leader. See, you... Okay, that was funny, you got to admit. All right. So, here they are, and the disciples are getting what they think is the worst possible news. They have left everything to follow Jesus. And now all he wants to do is talk about how he's going to leave. Ten times he says, I'm going away. And they are understandably sad. But Jesus knew something they didn't know. So in chapter 16, verse 5. But now, I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, Scripture bears witness to two sendings, the sending of the Son. But there's another sending that is very important to our story. The disciples are thinking, this is as bad a 
as it could get. But Jesus says, oh no, no, the best is yet to come. I'm about to leave, and they're sad. And notice, as he talks about the future, he says, it's going to be tough. They're going to arrest you. You're going to be thrown into prison. The day is going to come where if someone kills you, they think they did God a favor. And in this future full of uncertainty and even hostility, Jesus doesn't say, here's what you need to do. Read more Torah. Think more positively. Join a small group. He doesn't even try to comfort them by answering all of their questions. They only needed to know one thing. That Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit the best gift ever. He said, it is for your good. And another version says, it's profitable for you. Another, it's expedient for you. Another, it's to your advantage. It is better for you. Or another, I am going to do what is best for you. And I think the disciples had a hard time believing Jesus. And we do too. I mean, doesn't it make sense that it would be better if Jesus was right here with us in the flesh? So let's just take a little bit of time tonight and let's listen to Jesus tell us why it really is best for him to send us the Holy Spirit. And, it, and I, I begin with this one, I think, kind of uh, foundational comment that's hard to refute. And that is Jesus had the best view of the Holy Spirit. And we're never going to appreciate how much the Holy Spirit should mean to us until we appreciate how much he meant to Jesus. Jesus thought the Holy Spirit was the best. And he didn't think that because of what he learned in seminary or because of some systematic theology. No, he thought that his view was formed by intimate, personal experience. Uh, look at this verse, Luke 4.1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, that is not one day in Jesus' life. That is how Jesus lived every day. I would challenge you to go back and read your Gospels and just notice how often Jesus is enamored by, he is enabled by, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Acts 10, verse 38, how Jesus went around doing good, healing the sick, casting out demons in the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, 21 says, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. I don't know what picture you have of Jesus, but I think we would be shocked at how much he smiled and how happy he seemed to be. It was because he lived in the flowing of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.14 says he offered his life through the Holy Spirit. It was the enabling of the Holy Spirit that gave him the courage to walk to the cross. And then Romans 8.11 says he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Acts 1 verse 2 says he gave his final instructions to his apostles and disciples through the Holy Spirit. So get what I'm saying. That from conception to ascension, Jesus lived in the strength and the enabling and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we believe he lived the best life ever. 
because he lived in fellowship with the best gift ever. You see, he knew exactly what his disciples needed. He knew exactly what gift to send. And so I'm just going to teach two real simple things tonight. Now, when I say simple, I don't mean they're not deep. They are profoundly deep. But they're simple. And here's the first. Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit is God. And you say, duh. Oh, wait a second. The Holy Spirit is not God-like. He is not God on a diet. He is not God that never made the major leagues. Okay? He's not the third wheel of the Godhead. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's not less of Jesus. He is all of God. So Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But he could also say, if you've seen the Holy Spirit, you've seen me. Uh, Look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 13 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See, we were meant for fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's not a power, he is a person. And why is that important? Because you use a power, but you know and you relate to a person. And in the Bible, the Holy Spirit prays and he speaks and he decides and he guides and he rejoices. He can be grieved. He can be lied to. That's Acts 5. Don't try that. (laughs) Acts 8. Peter's doing some powerful ministry in Samaria and this sorcerer comes up and says, I'm so awed by this power. I, I want it. I want it. I want to buy that. And Peter turns, you can read it for yourself later, and gives one of the most stern rebukes anyone in Scripture ever gets. Why? Because you don't buy God. You don't control God. You don't domesticate God. You don't tame God. Now, we need to unpack that a second. Because we've been singing about this for a long time. How many of our churches sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. But what we really mean is, as long as you don't do things different than the way we've always done things. (laughs) Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. As long as you promise to never embarrass me. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here as long as you don't mess with our traditions. And as long as you change other people to be more like me. Jesus says the wind blows wherever it pleases. And so we sing, revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. But let's be honest, what we really mean is, Lord, send down your fire. But we want a control burn. (laughs) You don't tame. You don't tell God the boundaries. He's got to stay inside. You open up your life and you receive what God gives. And the Holy Spirit is a gift. But not a gift you can put in a box. But why would we want to do that? Why would we ever need to fear the gift of the Spirit of God? 
Why is it when the preacher announces he's doing a study and a series on the Holy Spirit, people get anxious? Uh, some years ago, I read about a man who was going to go on a vacation in Florida, and he wrote the hotel in advance and said, uh, I'd very much like to bring my dog with me. He's well-groomed, very well-behaved. Would you be willing to permit me to keep him in my room with me at night? And the hotel owner immediately replied, I've been operating this hotel for many years, and all that time, I've never had a dog steal towels, bedclothes, silverware, pictures off the wall. I've never had to evict a dog in the middle of the night for being drunk and disorderly. I've never had a dog run out on a hotel bill. Yes, indeed, your dog is welcome in my hotel, and if your dog will vouch for you, you're welcome to stay here, too. So here's, <laughs> here's the point. Holy Spirit is God. And what has he ever done that we should be afraid for him to come and visit us? Because you see, that's the second thing. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is good. And Jesus knew better than anyone that the fellowship and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is best for us. He couldn't say enough good things about the goodness of the Holy Spirit. I love, I'm going to send the advocate, but other translations, I'm going to send the friend, I'm going to send the counselor, I'm going to send the comforter, and my personal favorite, I'm going to send the helper. The Holy Spirit helps us. And that's why his coming excites God as much as it does Jesus. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, and he teaches them this beautiful prayer, but he says the foundation of this prayer is your view of God. Because your God is a good father. He says if your child comes to you and wants bread, you're going to give him a snake? If he wants an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? And then look what Jesus says. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Why do we want the Holy Spirit? Because He's God and because He's good. Because God is good and God wants to add a supernatural dimension to your life. Because God knows there is a kind of living that you cannot find in your own will and in your own strength. There's a quality of life that your sin-infected flesh cannot produce. And God wants you to have it. And so he is sending the Holy Spirit to help us. You see, nothing the Holy Spirit will do ever needs to be restrained. To fear the Holy Spirit. Spirit is to question the goodness of God. And yet, many of us have not wanted or have not been as grateful as we should be for the best gift ever. And I want to spend the rest of my time asking why. And I'm speculating a little bit, but I have been preaching now for almost 40 years I've had so many conversations so take what I'm going to offer for what it's worth why are we so anxious why are we so nervous and, and why do we want to tame the Holy Spirit one reason I'm going to suggest is just negligent theology 
We just don't know much about the Holy Spirit. And it's understandable if you haven't been raised in the Christian faith that you would know little or nothing about the Holy Spirit. But I know a lot of people here tonight are like me. You've been raised in churches from second grade on. My family, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I know everyone under 40 says, they had church on Sunday night? (laughs) Google it. They have unearthed some stone tablets that prove they really did have (laughs) church on Sunday night. And I was that kid. And we never invited the Holy Spirit to our church. And the only time we talked about the Holy Spirit is when the preacher did a series titled, What He Doesn't Do. (laughs) Why? And I'm going to suggest that the dilemma was this. We had to try to reconcile the powerful activity of the Spirit in the Bible. In the early church that we said we were restoring with the reality of our own churches and our lack of experience. The church in the book of Acts is growing and moving and changing. And in my church, we can't even get people from the back to move up to the front when the preacher asks. And so what we did is that we developed theologies of the Spirit. based on our lack of experience of the Spirit. Some said the Holy Spirit only operated through the Scriptures, which is interesting because the Bible never says that anywhere. Others said, well, we're going to pick and choose through John 14 through 16. Some verses are going to be for everybody, and and some verses are just going to be for the apostles, right? Let me ask you a question. Does the church today still need some help? Look with me at... John 14, verse 16, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you. Say that word with me, church. Forever. The gift is not for a generation. The gift is for every generation. And so let me just challenge you to be suspicious of any theology of the Holy Spirit that puts him on tranquilizers. And I'm asking you to pray during this coming week. That you would be open to fresh, new insights into the person of the Holy Spirit. I think a second reason we've been nervous to invite the Spirit is what I'm just going to call negative experiences. Some of us have had hurtful experiences in the past with people who taught what they taught on the Holy Spirit. I did. I was in college, I heard about a group of students that were having worship experiences on Saturday nights at someone's home, and I heard they were quite powerful. I knew most of the people that were gathered there, so I asked the leader if the next Saturday night I could come and join them. I was told that I could not come because those gatherings were only for people who were full of the Holy Spirit. Well, he was full of something. But it wasn't the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit unites Jesus' disciples. He does not divide them. And any elitist spirit in the body is not holy. The Holy Spirit does not make you better than anyone else. He makes you better than yourself. He comes to call you to become the person God has always wanted you to be. 
And so maybe before we go any further, it would be helpful for some of us to look into our past and identify some painful experiences we've had and ask God to help us get over them. Don't let something in your past keep you from experiencing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your future. And so maybe that's you. Negligent theology, maybe negative experience, but I'm just going to be honest. I think this is the biggest reason. Nominal discipleship. We've learned how to live our Christian lives. We've learned how to do church quite successfully without the help of the Holy Spirit. We are privileged people. We have great advantages. We have talents. We have resources. And we really don't need any help to live a rather comfortable life. And so we are settling for a tepid, innocuous brand of discipleship that asks little of us except to show up in a building once a week, give a little money, not cuss too much, and be nice to our neighbor. And I don't need any supernatural help to do that. Soren Kierkegaard, in his book, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing, tells a story about a town where all the residents are ducks. And every Sunday they waddle down the street, they waddle into the church building, they waddle into their pews, the duck choir waddles into the loft, and the duck pastor waddles up to the pulpit, and he begins to preach, and he says, ducks, God has given you wings, and with wings you can fly, with wings you can mount up and soar like eagles, no walls can confine you, no fences can hold you, you have wings, ducks, you have wings, and all the church says, amen, amen. And then everyone gets up and waddles back home. So let me ask you a question tonight. If the biggest goal of our churches is just to keep the peace, and the biggest goal of your life is just to stay safe, if we're already quite comfortable, why do we need a comforter? see, I think the greatest unspoken anxiety about welcoming the Holy Spirit is that what he thinks is best for me might not meet my definition. I've already got a good life, Holy Spirit. I'm quite comfortable. It's working quite well. So you stay on the shelf and don't show up. But if you do, don't you embarrass me and don't you take me out of my comfort zone. You see, we like to lead. We don't like to be led. And yet the very essence of discipleship is fellowship. We are to be people that are pursuing the life of Jesus. And the mission of the church is to make and grow these kind of people, these people that are following Jesus. And if we're going to radically follow Jesus, we're going to need some help. And Jesus made it available. See, Jesus did what is best for us so we could be our best for him.
Because you see, it's just like the first disciples. We live in a world full of uncertainty and hostility. And, and people, let's just get used to it. We're the visiting team. We're the underdogs. Philip Yancey says, a Muslim man came to him one time and says, I've read the entire Koran, and I can find in it no guidance on how Muslims should live as a minority in society. And I have read the entire New Testament many times, and I can find in it no guidance on how Christians should live as a majority. We're the visiting team. So let's stop ranting on Facebook. God knows that we are against a mighty, mighty foe. And into this world full of uncertainty and hostility, we are supposed to go as ambassadors of the kingdom. And our strategy is we're going to live and we're going to love like Jesus did. That's what we're going to do. And it's not going to be easy. And we're going to need more of the Spirit. If we're going to make more of a difference. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit will not make you weird. The Holy Spirit will make you more like Jesus. Which will make you strange. (laughs) In the most wonderful kind of way. I got a powerful example of that several years ago that I know all of you remember when Dr. Kent Brantley was flown back from Liberia. And I remember the Sunday when we showed that picture of him being taken into the hospital in Atlanta. And at that time, he's fighting for his life. And like you at our church, we stopped and we just prayed and we asked God for a miracle. But I told my church this. I want you to be sure you remember. We've already witnessed a miracle. We've witnessed a man and a woman who had advantages and privileges and they could have spent the rest of their life focused on their comfort. And they went instead to a place no one wants to go to live like no one wants to live. Who does that? That's not natural. And and they gave their life for the people on the margins that could never repay them. And even when he gets sick, he says, let someone else have the medicine first. He literally offers his life for this thing called the kingdom. This little minority in this hostile world. You can't live that way. Without divine help. And we need that help. And when we ask for it, and when we live empowered by it, we're winning. Even when it looks to some like we're losing. See, Jesus' death was not the end of his plan. Even his resurrection did not complete his agenda. He saved the best for last. He sent the Holy Spirit. And when you receive a gift like that, you should say, thank you. So let's do that. Bow your head, please.
I don't know if you've ever done this before, but would you take a moment and would you just thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit? And now would you take a moment and would you ask God to give you this week a new insight, a new revelation that would increase your capacity for fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And finally, would you ask God to take away any fear of what it might mean for you if you were truly filled with and led by and So God, we need to live more like Jesus. We need to love more like Jesus. Our churches need to tell more people about Jesus. And we need some help. So would you fill us with more of your spirit? Because Jesus is worth it. Amen.